Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Geely, or as the pronunciation on Wikipedia, Geely, does not have rhymes with really. It doesn't? It does not. It's a 2003 American romantic comedy. Getting way ahead of ourselves here. Already. All right. <laughs> Can't wait to be done. Are we recording, Julio? Yes, we are recording. For Contrarian's Corner, for Jilly rhymes with really. Good Lord, it's come to this. Uh, well, hello and welcome back to The Contrarian's, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my buddy Julio, manning the sound, of course. I just wanted to launch right into this. He had to make sure to stop me. Uh, yes, it has come to this, a Simpsons clip show episode. <laughs> this is Geely. It's not really like one of those that's been like pressing. Like We've had a couple of those that were like, oh, we'll get to it eventually. The A-teams immediately comes to mind. Right. Like, we've had a few that it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do. American Hustle was a big one. This is kind of one of those that when you brought it up, I was like, how has this not come up yet? Nobody's championed it, right? Like, usually those movies, either you or I or a friend of ours has been pushing for it to get here. Uh, nobody really. Martin, but then Martin Brest emailed us and asked us <laughs> politely not to. Uh, he declined to be on the episode. But everybody knows it. Everybody knows Jilly. It's not that it's an obscure movie. It's just... You know, nobody really thinks about it, I guess, until you bring it up. And then once you announce on Twitter that you're doing Jilly, then then you get the responses. It was Hurricane Katrina. It came, left a path of destruction. No one's really talked about it since. But if you say, I'm doing a podcast about Hurricane Katrina, <laughs> I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I'll listen. I was there. Uh, it, before I forget, just because it was just so adorable, uh, Ben from the podcast Film Busters was so excited that this episode is dropping on his birthday. He either really likes the movie or he's looking forward to see what we can do to salvage the the rotten wreckage. How we can MacGyver this together. Yes. So happy birthday, Ben. This happy one's birthday. for you. This is, this is for you. Uh, this turkey's for you. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Uh, Geely, released on August 1st, 2003. Uh, starring, of course, it was... Benifer, if I remember correctly, what their Hollywood name was. Was it? Yeah, but this would have been during their their hotness. Yeah, it was Benifer and Brangelina. Was the only two I remember. Um, hot people, they just <laughs> blur together. They do. Uh, looking at the poster here, Ben Affleck's hair is really greasy, and J Lo's ass is really popping. Like I called out when we were watching this, it's almost to a comical extent. Uh, this movie was not what I would call a critical success. Six percent. It stands at six percent. Have we done lower than six percent? I don't think so. Well, granted, Battlefield Earth was what 
better than this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, that's our entire thesis. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, we've done like 75 movies, but really we've done More over 100 movies. Yes. So it's these kind of blur together. The only one I can off the top of my head call out the ranking for is Modern Times because it's 100%. Yeah. We haven't done a 0%, and Jilly might very well be the closest that we've gotten and maybe that we will ever get. And I think many could make a case for it being a 0%, but uh, not that 6 So uh, with that in mind, though, there's 94% of that critical population that wants this movie to – wants Al Pacino to off it. Yeah, and, you know, this is 2003, so by – you know, the tomato meter was, was popping by then, just like, like J-Lo's butt in that poster. <laughs> so there's like 180-something reviews. Uh just a flood wow. of, of, of rotten quotes here. Um, this is the proverbial cornucopia of reviews. Yeah, so I try to go with like some of the obscure ones. You know, uh, that uh, who's the guy, Henke? Um, Michael Haneke? No. <laughs> There's a guy that we quote all the time. Oh, yeah, Ken Henke? Ken Henke. Yeah. It was like, okay, calm down, Ken Henke. Let somebody else play. Uh, so we have... Got Ju- this obscure critic, Roger Ebert. <laughs> I, I skipped over Ebert as, as well. Uh, Eddie Strait. There you go. I, he wasn't not yet. Uh, Judith Egerton from Courier Journal, Louisville, Kentucky, says Gilly looks like a movie that writer director Martin Brest made up on the spot. That is a generous quote. Yeah, it doesn't get personal. No. Sam Adams, the beer from Philadelphia City Paper, says Gilly won't be the worst movie to come out of Hollywood all year, but it's sure to be one of the most forgettable. Jokes on you, Sam Adams. Everybody knows Jilly. Forgettable, it was not. And finally, Michael Atkinson from The Village Voice. Brest would have to go back to his outline to repair this lemon and give America something akin to what it's told it really wants. Lemon, like it. A helping of Lopez Affleck home movies. Whoa, Yikes. Michael Atkinson. Ooh. You're showing your true colors there. Yeah. Um, right under Michael Atkinson, Ken Hankey. But I will not read Ken Hankey. I would book. like to reply to Mr. Atkinson. Uh, Where can I sign up for this? Uh, hadn't home the video? celebrity sex tape craze died down already? Because it was like Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee. When was it? Pam Anderson and Tommy like Lee. Like turn of the millennium, probably like 2000. That was still in Peru. Yeah. I've. It's like, there what it is this called, technology? Where is the Motley Crew? <laughs> um, Where is Tommy Lee's penis? Jesus, that dude's hung like a bear. At least for that time. <laughs> Standards have changed since 2000. Uh, Geely is about Larry Geely. Rhymes with really. He, uh, according to the Wikipedia synopsis, is a low-ranking Los Angeles mobster. Again, for some of our more convoluted movies, I've always liked to go to the first paragraph of the Wikipedia synopsis. Are you, are you calling this movie convoluted? I'm calling this movie... Uh, I'm calling it what it is. I'm just... It, <laughs> It's got some intricacies to it. So hang on. Are we in Contrarian's Corner, officially in Contrarian's Corner, or not yet? Are we, like, easing into it? This doesn't ease in anything. Ben Affleck's got a guy in a dryer that he's trying to fucking get information out of. Okay, Uh, so so we're in Contrarian's Corner. Yes, this is where we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, make a case for a rotten movie being fresh or vice versa. So in this case, you know, there's a lot of things to take away that are good about Geely. Lots. We're going to make it sound fresh. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, if you want to know how we really feel about it, uh, in case you can't tell already, uh, just <laughs> stick around for the second half of the show, Real Talk, where we uh, real talk. Yeah, so Smoke and Aces, and I forget what the other one I what that I've gone to the, the Wikipedia. It was not Speed. The Garden of Serenity. Oh, it was uh, Johnny Mnemonic. 
Oh God, yeah. So, so closing down the trilogy. Smoking aces, Johnny Mnemonic, and I mean, Geely. It's got the, all the the quirks of those two. Uh, Larry Geely, Ben Affleck, is a low-ranking Los Angeles. There you go. It was in California. We couldn't uh, figure out where the fuck it was the whole time. Had a brief discussion about it because Ben Affleck talks like he's from Atlantic City, and Jennifer Lopez. It's Jennifer Lopez is a citizen of the earth. Uh, is a low-ranking Los Angeles mobster who is not nearly as tough as he likes to act. Lewis, Lenny Venito, and Lenny here knew this was his one shot, and he went for it. A high-ranking member of Geely's organization commands Geely to kidnap the mentally challenged younger brother of a powerful federal prosecutor to use as a bargaining chip to save New York-based mob boss Starkman. Just one name, like Seal. Al Pacino from prison. Geely successfully convinces the young man, Brian, played by Justin Bartha, Doug from the Hangover series, to go off with him by promising to take him to the Baywatch. Baywatch is capitalized. Apparently, As it should. Apparently a reference to the television show of that name. So we get no indication that this movie is not happening in present day, and this was almost 10 years after Baywatch was... What's the word I'm looking for here? I was going to say left a cultural footprint, but that's not to be. No, but I mean. Trinket. I think that we tend to. Ornament on a tree of cult, pop culture. We tend to assume that that the world is just uh, like our little bubble. And just because you and I just basically are just, uh, you know, you have DVR and streaming. And basically we've managed to just block any Baywatch references for the, for the past 10 years, that doesn't mean that there's not a section of the world that still lives on reruns and Friends references. The whole point is that Baywatch may not mean much to us, but it means a lot. It may not be on Netflix, the <laughs> but there's people out there that still know. Yeah. Uh, the show seems to be Brian's singular obsession. Lewis does not trust Geely to get the job done right, so he hires a woman calling herself Ricky, played by Jennifer Lopez, to take charge. This is our title credit scene now. I think th that synopsis, uh, I mean, it's accurate. Tim as far Roth as... holds up the joint and then we go into the movie. <laughs> I think that that synopsis is accurate uh, as far as facts go. I think it's clearly missing uh, the soul of the movie. <laughs> that's, that's it. Because really, this is just 90% at least of Ben Affleck, Justin Bartha, and Jennifer Lopez in, a, in an apartment. Yeah, I was just about to say, bouncing like off 70% each other. of the movie. Yeah, and uh, it's funny games. Yeah, and but funny, and uh, but really, what's what really makes it, the movie crackle? What makes it spark is just the chemistry, the interaction, the comedic timing, and just the, the things. Oozing sex appeal. Well, yeah, no kidding, dude. I mean, we know that are, were they dating at the time? Yes. Were they not dating? Okay, so. Even if they hadn't been dating at the time, it's just palpable, right? Mm -hmm. You can see, you can feel it. There's there's, there's this uh, raw sex appeal. You have two extremely attractive people that are obviously attracted to each other, but they're acting because of the, the demands of their job. They're at odds. And then eventually you know, because you know this is a romantic comedy of sorts, you know that they're going to get together towards the end. But there's and, that chemistry that's undeniable, like uh, Brad and Angelina and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. There's that moment where you're like, they're fucking. In real life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, you're kind of surprised as we were when you get to you finally get to the sex scene and it's kind of tame. Yeah. Right? Because you, you were expecting, I mean, of course, like you mentioned what we're watching, we're coming off 
having watched The Boy Next Door just a few months ago. Yeah, and th- that movie took twelve place twelve years after this, and the Jennifer Lopez of Boy Next Door said, "Hold the proverbial hold my beer. I'm gonna up the game here." But at the same time, the Jennifer Lopez from Jilly, more of a badass. Oh yeah. She wouldn't have put up with any of that shit. No. All the stuff from The Boy Next Door, she would have just... Yeah, because she knows all that Krav Maga shit. Um, So, of course, I mean, he's a red-blooded male. Ben Affleck is attracted to Jennifer Lopez. And right from uh, the jump, she's using her sexuality and image to kind of manipulate his way of thinking. But it goes both ways, because he has Sue. From the very beginning, Affleck is just... He's trying to pour on the charm. He's looking good. Yeah, and, and this is what what this proves, though, is the logistics of why Lewis hired Ricky because uh, Geely, Ben Affleck's character, is inherently flawed. He's not the brightest bulb in the, the Christmas tree, and this is proven by him completely dropping his guard just to try to woo the woman. Is it that he's not bright or just that he's not a good fit for the job? Right, I, I, because I got the 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 feeling from the very beginning that he's he, too nice to be a, a contract killer. He's a little bit like Stallone in the first Rocky. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna break the guy's hand. He's not going to kill the guy that doesn't have all the money. Uh, he's just too nice, and he's getting by because he looks big and and can be intimidating. But really, this is not what he should be doing. And his niceness is uh, exemplified in the good care he takes of his literal hostage brian he prepares him food granted it's not you know it's not the ritz it's not fine dining it's more akin to something our president would serve and he also against his will and against his better judgment he uh reads him not a bedtime story but because he doesn't own a book but you know he does what he can to appease his guest yeah, despite he, the fact that he kidnapped him that is see that to me shows that he's a smart guy he doesn't have any books at, at home and and the kid wants him to read him anything so he started reading him the ingredients from a tabasco mm-hmm. bottle that's that's thinking on your feet mm-hmm. uh, and it's good product placement because i really wanted some eggs in tabasco after that th- that's how jilly was financed <laughs> tabasco titans and uh, i think he reads some toilet paper uh instructions later i'm just now thinking of, like ben affleck's house like if you ever go on a tour of it there's one room that's just all tabasco memorabilia and he's oh yeah don't, don't worry about it that's the jilly room <laughs> I, I think that part of the, the of the of the movie's bad reputation comes with the fact that it's not the kind of thing that Americans are used to or Americans are expected. It would not surprise me if you told me that this movie did great in Europe, where they're a little more open about sexuality and a little more open about taking chances with your storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you're thinking, oh, look at that poster, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez in a comedy this, where he's like a mob enforcer. This is going to be action-packed and very quippy and you know there's gonna be sexual tension but really it's gonna be kind of like chaste and here they they get into it mm-hmm. i mean the time that they spent in his apartment is is shall we say uh very productive as far as conversation goes uh sometimes you lose fact of uh, what this is and you think you're like in a tarantino film just with like how much the dialogue just naturally ebbs and flows in between the i wrote tarantino eat your heart out because uh even before we get to the monumental penis vagina monologue which there's... let's be honest that is just a takeoff of the jules and vincent vega scene of the the, the duality of man the existence of god conversation it's just taking it to the next level yes. martin brest watched pulp fiction and he was like all right Let's do it to Affleck's career. Anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> yes. Uh, this actually was one of Tarantino's top 25 movies of 2003. It does not surprise me <laughs> in the slightest. Um, 
but yeah, th- th- these conversations they get and they get sexual really quickly, which is how it would happen in real life. But of course, you put that in an American movie, even if it's rated R, it just people cover their eyes and run mm-hmm. away and then slap a, a green splotch on the Rotten Tomatoes website. It this is how people talk, and this is what happens when you have attracted people around each other that are unattached to anyone else. So yeah, are you telling me you put uh, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez? in an apartment for 24 hours. I don't care if Justin Bartha is in it or not. The, the conversation's going to come up. Yes. It doesn't matter if she reveals that she's a lesbian. Affleck's done this before. He has, and he's done this on this podcast. <laughs> yes. As, as you were watching it, didn't you feel like, wow, this is chasing Amy but done well? It's like, this is chasing Amy, but there's just this stark lack of goatee. Yeah, that's. I think they had to handicap him somehow. Because obviously he's more masculine than he was in Chasing Amy to begin yeah. with. Uh, so they had to at least take the facial hair away. It's more of a believable approach. I think the only thing that was missing was the Brian character should have been played by uh, Jason, Jason Lee. Oh, I thought you say Jay Muse. No. <laughs> can't, can't hack we, it. We need less Jay Muse on this podcast. Uh, we need more Jason Lee, always. Absolutely. Now and forever. The tensions are mounting, both just uh, from a, an emotional standpoint, sexual standpoint. This thing's just a fucking powder keg that's ready to blow. Uh, it's, you know, it's the proverbial bratwurst that's ready to split. And that is that sounds like something Affleck would say in this movie. Ben Affleck uh, offers up his big bed to share. He doesn't want Jennifer Lopez sleeping on the floor. Uh, so we get like this. It's Butch, another parallel to Pulp Fiction. It's uh, Butch psyching himself up before the big fight. Ben Affleck's pumping some iron, talking himself up, looking See, at his tattoos in the mirror. I thought of Vincent. I, I also went to Pulp Fiction, but I thought of Vincent. Uh, well, the different. Are you talking about Vincent at the uh, after Mia? Well, Mia's OD and yeah, um, Marcellus's house. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, he's talking himself out of it. Affleck's talking himself into it. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Now, uh, he comes out, and Jennifer Lopez is reading a book. I think she hears him talking himself up, and she just kind of rolls her eyes. Yeah, but I, she probably – she was meant to hear him. He was – I don't think that he was trying to be quiet. I think that that was – he was trying to give her a preview of, of what was going to happen when he came out of the bathroom. He was peacocking. He was yeah. like, yeah, here, here's what's to come. Um, so he comes out, gets into bed, curls up next to her. There's some hot, airy dialogue exchange between the two of them. Uh, come to find out the whole gist of this is we find out that Jennifer Lopez's character, uh, Ricky, is a lesbian. And Affleck's a bit taken back by this. But we're not. because no, he's, I guess it, he's been dealt this hand before. Yeah, and, but see, to me, that's genius filmmaking. When you can you make the story work on two different levels, at least. So you have the, the story on the surface of J. Lee, and yeah, there's this character, and now there's this ultra-masculine guy with a heart of gold that suddenly is trapped in this apartment with this really attractive woman that's not interested in men. And that alone is a good setup. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, just the genius of casting Ben Affleck to play this part. Because, like we've been saying, he's done it before. So that's not that's not accidental. Yeah, Everybody involved in the making of this movie knows that in Chasing Amy, Ben Affleck wooed a lesbian. It was like casting... Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. Yeah, he wasn't a pro wrestler, but he, he, he's been there before. The he's arc, been the up and down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, to me, that's smart. Uh, we've mentioned before in this podcast uh, that it can be a good move or a bad move to cast an actor uh, based on the baggage that they bring to the part. But in this case, the baggage is perfect because 
I think that it really makes you appreciate Affleck as an actor. Here, he's putting on a performance that's so different from what he did in Chasing Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, he's faced with the same problem. Yeah. It's like, what has he learned in the... What would it have been? Five years? So, 99? God, Chasing but Amy? those movies seem like from different lifetimes. I, I mean, it's been a real talk. Just like the way they're presented, the like state that the actors were in, the social tones of it. It, it really well, seems even, like, uh, uh, it seems like it's from two different millenniums. It's <laughs> it's come up in the uh, in the podcast before because we've done Affleck movies or movies where Affleck is in there for a little bit. Uh, it's come up that he can look so different, just age wise. The harsh reality we had to accept that he was older in 200 cigarettes than he was in chasing amy right and here despite looking 10 years younger here he looks almost like botox out he did you get the feeling that he was just so young he was shiny he was very wax statue-esque yeah and, and i know that part of it is just i think it's it's meant to be part of the character i think that that's just a sign look um mm-hmm. uh, this is not like Travolta and Swordfish, or no, it wasn't Swordfish. Travolta, uh, be cool, right? Where you think that that's not the way he's supposed to look. Oh God! But but here is just the, the person that killed John Travolta <laughs> cut his face off and wore it to the movie. The guy that liked face off a little too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, here, it, regardless of what they you know planned for the movie, the fact is that if you're watching Affleck movies back to back to back to back, he looks like he's aging and de aging. Even though you're watching them in chronological order. Yeah, he's a chronological chameleon. It's a, he's a chameleon. Yeah. You never know. You could watch a Ben Affleck movie. Uh, like Rob Zombie used to always say about the Ramones, between like 77 and 94, you could go see the Ramones and you would not know what year it was. You can watch a Ben Affleck movie and have no concept of time at all. So, Geely, Larry, he must be known locally as a guy with some bad connections. Because in our next scene... Uh, I would say a cameo, but he gets a credit in it, so we can't really say it's no. it's uh this is akin to his scene in Pulp Fiction. We just keep going back to Pulp Fiction, but that's really Well let's be honest, this was Pulp Fiction with the two thousand three drab over it. Right. You it, know, it, in Halo you get the default drab and then you, you work up to it and this one got a new one. Uh and just laid itself over the, the, the mold that was set. You don't use a cookie mold the same way every single time. Sometimes you put some chocolate dough in there. You know, Change the sprinkles. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened here. Um, so Christopher Walken kicks in the door, and he uh, – does he have a name? I was he's, so he's in a, awe he's a, he's of a his cop. delivery and presence. It's He comes in – Affleck and, and J-Lo. And, and let's be honest. It's not every day we get Christopher Walken and Jennifer Lopez sharing a screen together. <laughs> or but Affleck, for that matter. Walken and Affleck, has that happened? I don't know. I mean, feels like it should have. I was about but... to say I can accept that. My brain can compute that more than seeing Lopez and Walken, you know, dueling for supremacy. Well, he was originally supposed to be her husband in uh, the boy next door, but it's the scene where uh, DiCaprio answers Martin Sheen's phone in The Departed, and it's just the shots of Matt Damon and DiCaprio back and forth. Yeah, I he... mean, the tension is equal. He comes in to to basically give these two stars a workout because so far it's just been the Affleck and JLo show. With it's, he's hosting an acting seminar, right? He, I think that thirty minutes into the movie they've gotten a little too comfortable, and so Martin Brest bring, brings one of the big guns in, um, and, and it's just it's literally just walking monologuing for what i don't know within five and ten minutes of, of just solid walking acting and while j-lo and ben affleck react 
I can comfortably say he could have gotten his message across in 15 seconds, but that wouldn't be the Christopher Walken way. It, I would have felt cheated. Uh, you you don't bring Walken and you don't give him uh, without giving him some 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 chewy dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Something that he can just really sink his teeth in and and just deliver relish some some words. Uh, he gets to be cookie, right? He's he's drinking a coffee. It's all in the little details. Like we talk about great performances. He's drinking a coffee in a in a paper cup, mm-hmm. and then he finishes the coffee and he crumples it, and 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 Brass is smart enough to just let us savor that moment. He's there because he he knows the word is out that Brian, the uh, federal prosecutor's brother, has been kidnapped, and he's basically doing the the old routine of like, but you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? I think he knows that uh, Geely's up to no good, and he doesn't do the "here's my card," but he leaves him with a you know, if you know anything, you better fucking get in touch with me. Well, because it's it's walking, he doesn't just leave with that. Then he goes on on this really weird uh, tangent about eating pie. Where That's right. He looks at Jennifer Lopez, who's looking super hot, sitting there on on the side, and. And then he goes, you know what I really want to do? And you brace yourself because the movie has been pretty just it's pulled out no there. punches. Right. You're expecting him to go into some really – From a dialogue or character <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. You expect him to be, get really graphic about what he would like to do to J-Lo and or Affleck. Mm. And, uh, and instead he goes, I'd like to walk down to some fucking bakery and get some pie. And then he just kind of goes off and he's like full on walking. Uh, yeah. God he, bless him. He, as quick as he came, as quick as he leaves, but he did not, you know, it wasn't in vain. He made a fucking impression. There was a smoldering crater of acting left where he left, where I mean, he, he walked out. He gave him, he gave him 10 minutes of just trailer material. Just pick any line of him and just throw in the trailer so that, that people can get a feel for the movie. I imagine that was all one take, too. He came in. And then he looked at JLo and said, "That's how it's fucking done." <laughs> no, he said, "Welcome to the fucking show." Um, they called him over. He was he was mid bite on his sandwich, put it down, went in, did his scene, came back out, finished his sandwich. That's you know, Walken was got out of his car. In he didn't even get into wardrobe. He was in that suit when he got there. Walked onto set and fucking squared up and threw down. Uh, we continue on. Brian is in and out, and you know they—he's really—he's not consequential to the story, I would say. But um, but he's the heart of the story. Much like acting in general, it's just Justin Bartha that's consequential. Yeah, I mean, let's take a moment to talk about Justin Bartha. He's kind of fallen by the wayside so far because we we're just kind of starstruck by Affleck and J Lo and now Walken. But really, Bartha. This movie, I just know him from the Hangover uh, movies and from uh, National Treasure. He's in. He's yeah. a, he's a funny, wacky sidekick, and and he was in a movie with, I want to say Catherine Zeta-Jones called The Rebound. Was he anywhere near as charming there as he is here in Jilly? No, and uh, that's the thing. Uh, so this movie, the reason he is Doug in the Hangover is because you need someone so damn likable that there's the feeling of peril and struggle that we need to get him back, and and you need to write him out of the movie so he doesn't steal it yes. from you, yes. right? But this movie, what it what it showed me was that basically Hollywood has been wasting Justin Bartha ever since, because you would think this is star making performance. You would think that after he this, certainly thought it was going to be. Yeah, you, you would think that after this, after Jilly. You would just see Justin Bartha everywhere. He was on Coke cans advertising Geely. <laughs> Collect all four. <laughs> the, the character posters for Geely. 
<laughs> yeah, the bus shelters. And, and the... Have you seen this man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that would have been a tremendous marketing campaign. Uh, I think that was the real reason why this movie bombed. It wasn't, it wasn't advertised correctly. Yeah, you have to make it into a game. It was like Love and Other Drugs. It's a romantic, it, the perfect parallel. You, you try to disguise this thriller as a romantic comedy. It's like, no, you gotta say what it is. That's why your movie bombed. You make it like a like in a Blair Witch Project where you make the website, you make people think that they somebody really kidnapped this guy. You make it real. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I think that Justin Bartha, it's not his fault that the movie that the audiences couldn't handle the big swings. It yeah. takes it takes courage to basically play a character like this in a comedy and and manage to just tiptoe around the landmines of of just political correctness, right? Uh I mean, I'll admit it and, and it happened to you too. As soon as his character is introduced, we're like, "Oh no," because you just feel like it's going to be in poor taste. How can you get away in, in a movie that's already dropped a gazillion fuck bombs before he even shows up uh mm. what what's gonna happen right how can you treat this character in a way that's that does it justice without making fun of his condition or whatever right uh and the movie actually does it just by letting him be just another person right he he likes music he likes dancing he likes cursing he curses just as much as ben affleck in this movie yeah uh, and i think that like that kind of like seeds he likes sunflower seeds, and of course he likes Baywatch, which yeah. I think that ends up being the the thing that unites us all. The beach, pretty ladies, pretty men. Um, yeah, he he does not know he's a hostage, and um, Ben Affleck keeps delaying the going to the Baywatch. They do go to some coffee shop, the three of them together, and uh, Brian just kind of off in the corners dancing with himself. And then this group of youths, skateboarders probably, are just blaring their rock and roll music. And uh, Ben Affleck tells them to shut the fuck up. And it takes Jennifer Lopez going over and explaining that she studied some martial art that you can pull out someone's eye with it. She studied under uh, Uma Thurman Sensei from uh, Kill Bill. There you go. Basically scares them. And uh, we get, you know, a seminal turn of the millennium line as, as they exit where Ben Affleck smashes their laptop and says, this is, what does he say? Like suck my com. Yeah. Classic. Classic. Well, I think that it's, it's a little and bit the of a Oscar commentary. Goes too. <laughs> if only the Oscars were that cool. Uh, I think it's, it's a little bit of a subversion. The movie commenting on just how, how different it is for what it takes for men and women to be seen as cool and badass in a movie, right? Because J-Lo has to get up there and give a, a five-minute speech about what she's going to do to this guy's eyeball mm-hmm. in order to be taken seriously as as a person of action, a badass. And then all Affleck has to do afterwards is just break this guy's laptop and drop a corny line. And yeah, she had to, you know... She had to work for it. She had to carve the path for him to follow behind. We then go to meet Ben Affleck's mom. I, I can't remember why, but we had to make a quick side trip. To she her needs house. a shot. Yes, she has needs someone to give her a shot. I don't know what it is. Dude, the the Pulp Fiction echoes are everywhere because this is this is Ben Affleck just giving the shot, giving <laughs> her the shot. <laughs> Eric Stoltz is not there. Yeah, he's got to shoot something into her ass, and uh, it it's a very uncomfortable scene. She meets Ricky, obviously takes an immediate liking to her. Uh, Brian's just wandering around her house. She doesn't seem to acknowledge or know that he's there, which brings a whole separate question into the fray is if Brian really exists or not, or if it's just someone that only uh, Geely and Ricky can see. 
Regardless, it could just be that she's so concerned with her husband or her, excuse me, her son meeting a, a woman and becoming a husband that she just fucking laser beams in on Jennifer Lopez. And then they start talking about, you know, being experimental. Yeah. Having relations with women and how men have their limitations. And I think Ben Affleck gets the big oh moment. He gets a Travolta beat. He does. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love Affleck, but he, there's no way he could pull that off. It's true. I, I, I mean, he did what he could in this in this moment, but he he does not go full Travolta because he can't. Um, that is interesting. I did notice that Brian is barely acknowledged in that scene, but for that matter, he's barely acknowledged in most scenes. You're right. The only person that's harmless. Yeah, he's he interacts with with Jennifer Lopez and with Ben Affleck, and that's about it. Everybody else ignores him, and I think that is the movie making a point of, of saying that maybe. We just don't pay attention to to people with that are mentally challenged enough, right? And even even when they are a vital part of the movie, we still manage to keep them on the side of the plot. That is Martin Brest saying a mouthful. Uh, that night, after the big conversation with his uh, between his mother and Ricky, uh, we get this very uh, Braveheart esque monologue about the penis from Ben Affleck. It's essentially the uh, Seinfeld conversation that Elaine and I believe George, either George or Jerry have about the woman's body being a beautiful thing and the men's is a basically a utility vehicle like a Jeep. But it's just taken to a way more elegant, uh, drawn-out, seductive, sexy, uh, juicy conversation between the two. The argument of you know, what the most powerful uh, sexual, I wouldn't say organ, but... Um, What's the word? Appendage is. And obviously Affleck's case is the penis. And J-Lo argues it's the lips. And the reason for that is because they uh, mirror. And now these are her words, not mine. My <laughs> pussy. Uh, it's We paid $4 to watch this movie. We did. In, in, Typical movie rentals on Amazon Prime are one ninety nine. This was three ninety nine. Um I felt that this, this was scene, this was three ninety nine content that we were getting. Yes, though. this scene alone, I think it's worth the four dollars, and that's and it's a bargain because you get two powerful monologues. I would say for the price of one, mm-hmm. <laughs> except that there's more to come. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is Affleck and, and, and we're J-Lo. burying the lead of this though in that this is all good. This conversation is being had while JLo is doing sweaty, hot yoga lit by the moonlight. By the time she finishes her speech, when she goes, my pussy, and she's covered in sweat, mm-hmm. Affleck's reaction is the reaction of every male uh, in the audience. And probably every female as well. He does have the vapors. Yes. He he loses uh, all confidence as she goes on, which is great. That's great acting. I don't understand how this could be turned into a punchline uh, unless you are just completely in denial of what good acting is, right? This is uh, later on in the movie. He gets to to cry a little bit and he gets to get a little passionate about his emotions. But this is to me maybe his greatest moment of acting in the movie, where you see him slowly lose the bravado and just go like uh, without saying you're right he's mm-hmm. like you're right vaginas are better than penises so we go from the the heat of the night the the hot sweaty summer air to the cold stark reality of the next morning when is it lewis their boss yeah the guy that lewis we haven't seen before we'll never see him again lenny venito 
uh, calls and says he got to cut off his thumb. Brian, that is who he's referring to. You know, in uh, Jilly opening weekend, uh, Louis Vinito, he hosted SNL. He <laughs> <laughs> was the big get. Oh, God. <laughs> if only. Um, says he needs to cut off Brian's thumb and mail it to the prosecutor because basically they need to speed up the. They need to get Starkman out of the clink. Um, so while they're debating on how they're going to solve this, uh, wouldn't you know it? Joey Lauren Adams shows up. Oh, I'm sorry. She was she was too busy. So they got she was unavailable. They got not Joey Lauren Adams. Uh, but she she's playing the Joey Lauren Adams. Missy Kreider was the name of the the uh, actor. The character's name apparently was Robin. Uh, from this moves quick. You got to keep up with the scene. This is this is for the movie. movie. The movie takes its time in every aspect except for this one. Yeah, we go from spurned lover to suicide attempt really fast. Yeah, she's apparently uh, Ricky J Lo's ex lover. Um, J Lo just doing a, a horrendous job of contract killing and letting her ex spouse or lover know where she's staying, which I love and because what she's doing. That's good though because. It's we're maybe halfway through the movie and it's time to basically take her down a notch, right? The movie has been pummeling Affleck and showing him as incompetent to do good nature, to do a good job, and and she's coming across as the total pro. Yeah, and it's getting a little one sided. So it's nice that now she here. That's fair. This balances it back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets her private life coming back to haunt her. So she comes in. She accuses J Lo of switching teams, and she's you know a hetero again. She's telling Ben Affleck to go fuck himself. The the whole rigmarole. Then she just up and says fuck it and grabs a butcher knife and slits her two wrists. And this is like shocking television. Um, to to go back to the departed. This is fucking Leo getting shot coming out of the elevator. I did not see that coming. Nope. And uh, it's such a great blend of comedy and drama. And because really. She's holding up her wrists and they're bleeding, and we're all like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then Brian, who you might have already forgotten that is there, uh, Justin Bartha has a great delivery of she needs some band aids. Yeah, and then we just cut to uh, the ER, and we don't ever see Robin again. We see Jennifer Lopez talking to somebody. We don't know who it is, and if it is Robin, we don't know what condition she's in or where she's going off to. Alex, it's gonna be okay. You know how? You know how I know? The Julie. score. The score, excuse let's, me. Yes. Let's take a moment to talk about the score here. Be- if you have any question of what you're supposed to be feeling in this movie, don't worry. The score is there to help you out. Which is good because, there. I mean, you had to read the the Wikipedia synopsis because the movie is so complex. While you're watching, you don't have the Wikipedia synopsis right with you, but no. you have the score. That's correct. John Powell holds your hand throughout the entire uh, two hours and one minute of the film. Much like everybody else involved in this movie, John Powell poured his heart out. So we know things are going to be all right because the score kicks in and makes us feel as though everything is going to be okay. We also know that that Ben Affleck is developing real feelings for her because yes. he sees her and he goes, I think he says, that's a real woman. That's a great girl or yeah. something. And then the music swells. <laughs> so while they're there, you know, why not two birds, one stone it? So they're at the... Uh, Hospital, uh, Ben and J-Lo connive this plan uh, in which Brian and uh, Larry go to the basement, to go to the freezer, find themselves a cadaver, and uh, Larry finds a p- pack of uh, plastic ware and uses the knife to cut a thumb off because he's got to send it off to uh, their target. And he does. 
They go to they go to FedEx or wherever the fuck the next day, and J Lo is single clearly, and she's back on the market, and she's trying to win over the uh, the sales clerk that they have there. I mean, the whole thumb thing—it's almost like an excuse so we can get to this scene where she's flirting with the FedEx girl, mm-hmm. and Affleck gets jealous, and then he has—he's like, "Hey, oh." <laughs> He gets he gets his uh, we can't call it anything but his big chasing Amy moment. This is him. Uh, oh, after this in the car, yeah, yeah. telling Joy Lauren Adams how much he, he he loves her. And this again, this is here. They're driving, and he tells J Lo that he's a sad man because every he's in night love with a stone cold dyke. Yep, That's his words, quote. his words, not mine. This movie doesn't mince words. It does not. Doesn't surprise me I didn't do well in America because. Generally, we protect our audience a little too much from language that could be offensive unless you realize that it's in the context of a movie that's trying to be realistic in the way it depicts how people talk. Mm -hmm. So he pours his heart out to Jennifer Lopez, and she just kind of absorbs it. You don't really know what's going to come of it. But the music lets you know it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We go to that night. He tucks Brian into bed, reads to him, goes through the whole nightly routine. uh, Flexes. Flexes. Goes back to bed with uh, Ricky. There's a discussion about fingernails and the way one looks at fingernails determines masculinity or femininity. Essentially, Ricky's trying to get Larry to admit that you know there he does have some feminine tendencies. And this, of course, as it would with any conversation, leads to her moving in for a kiss. She it basically she says, "You're probably gay," and he says, "No, I'm not." And then she goes, "Prove it." But it's much better written than what I just said because it's Martin Brest. <laughs> Yeah, she goes into they start making out. She gives him the old size more, where she gives him the the nipple tweak, and he he has a bit of an issue with it. It's not the the cry for uh, ecstasy that Sizemore would give you, but they start making out, and then she breaks and lays down. And this is where we get probably the most iconic scene of this film, uh, as previously in the penis dialogue or monologue, I should say, Affleck uh, proclaims to know exactly how to you know uh, fillet a woman. And Jennifer Lopez is like, well, you know, you can't talk the talk. You can't walk the walk. It's turkey time. And he's like, hey, the fuck you talking about? And then she spreads her legs and says, gobble, gobble. And so see here. To Welcome me- to the annual Thanksgiving rotation of films. <laughs> this is iconic, right? This is anybody, whether they've seen Jilly or not, they know this scene. Mm-hmm. You and I, this is our yeah. first time watching it, and we knew. Oh, yeah, yeah the turkey. I, I posted that we're doing Jilly uh, on, uh, on Twitter. Everybody hits me with, like, turkey quotes and turkey <laughs> gifts. And, and, yes, I think that it's easier to laugh at it mm-hmm. than it is to really absorb the the scene for the what magnitude. it is. Well, yeah, because it's being very frank about sexuality, and you don't get to see this in movies very often where you see a woman just so in control and so confident of her, her own body and her desires. And yes, she said that she was a lesbian, but just like we saw in chasing Amy, but in a much less subtle way, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. It is the year 2003. And, and for her to take Affleck to task for it, for, for the way he's been talking and, and for him to melt in the way that he melts in that scene, it's, you don't see that often, and She's I think it should control. be. Yeah, it should be celebrated rather than mocked. But of course, you know, Puritan United States of America. <laughs> oh my God, they're just having fun with sex, and they're being like really honest about how they feel. Fuck this movie, six percent. <laughs> they're killing the business. It's. I mean, it's a sex scene that ends in a cuddle. 
Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often. Yeah, and he uh, he is elated by this, and she knows she's in control. She says something like, "I want you to be my bitch," and he is. He fakes it. Yeah. Uh, you were saying as as it was happening, you said, "I really hope that they they show his face when he goes in," and they did. Yeah, Martin Brest is a master director. Yeah, and F like this was world class acting in this uh, this scene. Um, you believe that he was really. There was penetration. <laughs> Lars Van Trier yeah. was brought in as the guest director. His name was kept off the project. Uh, not too long to linger in the after-orgasm, though, as the next morning they're summoned to meet with Lewis uh, and the mob boss. Uh, Al Pacino is in town, baby. And he's they've got him for 30 minutes, so they need to use him as best as they can. Uh, Pacino's there with a ponytail. and Say uh, no more. Yeah, I'm in. Sold. To bring it up to quick speed, Lewis kind of concocted this plan all on his own without running it by Starkman. He did not approve of the kidnapping of Brian. And, you know, this is excellent because you would think that this movie has such a flawed script. Your first time watching it and thinking, why would they do this? This is going to get him in such deep shit because it's a federal prosecutor. Pacino takes the time to tell you how dumb they are for doing this. Uh, It's great because the entire time, yes, you're right. You you just kind of have to fall back into telling yourself, well, it's a movie. So mm-hmm. it's movie logic. I'm going to have to give him this one. You you give that one concession so you can enjoy the rest of the story, that that this really dumb plan would, would make sense. So to have Pacino validate your initial reaction is great. It rewards you for sticking with the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and Pacino gets the last opening credit. He gets the and Al Pacino. Perfect. So you're waiting for it the entire time. He uh, he says, I didn't approve this, but regardless, I didn't approve it, and the finger you sent in, the fingerprint doesn't match. So even though I didn't approve it, you still fucked it up, so I'm mad. So he just fucking shoots Lewis in the head. Uh, what was the gentleman's name? I keep skipping it. Lenny Venito, we hardly knew ye. Uh, you know, early contender for the Embry here in 2019. Goes out with a bang, literally. Literally. Uh, Starkman's about to kill Ricky and Larry for fucking it up. Uh, J-Lo then talks him out of it. She uses the word derelict, which I was really impressed by. Um, she uses it properly. She does. God bless her. Uh, she just says, if you let us go, we'll make sure that kid's in a position where he can never testify against us. Also derelict. Yeah. Pacino goes, can you spell it? <laughs> use it in a, use it in a sentence. <laughs> Um, this is the greatest I've ever seen, Al Pacino. Would you agree? Do you have? Did you have that same thought? Yeah. It's like, man, he's always black hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, in more recent movies, black hair. Here again, is, I don't think he went through wardrobe or makeup. Right, it's just like walking. He got just off came the plane, like, said, and "I'm not going to do a Pacino." <laughs> <laughs> he just went and grabbed the unfinished sandwich from walking. <laughs> Here we go, Cheerio. Uh, so he lets him go. He shows mercy, and then he, much like walking, class is dismissed. Gone, <laughs> gone in a flash. Uh, so they're gonna take Brian back to where he needs to go, back home, and he's you know kind of bummed by it because he's become friends with Ricky and Larry. Uh, Larry does right by uh, Brian though. He teaches him how to talk to a woman because, as we've learned through this, and if you've been keeping up with the podcast and chasing Amy, if uh one person knows how to talk to women, it's definitely gonna be Ben Affleck. Yeah, I think we've seen his Whatever evolution. end of the spectrum they're on, he knows how to penetrate it. 200 cigarettes, chasing Amy, reindeer games. No matter where you look in Affleck's filmography, he, he knows his way with the ladies. They drive by the beach, and they're like filming a music video or something, and Brian thinks it's the Baywatch. 
and again, you're not really sure what's going to happen, but then John Powell comes again in with the music. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't want to bring it up again. <laughs> this huge orchestral crescendo that it builds to. You know that everything's going to be okay. It's the it's the uh, best movie nomination clip. Yes. Where the, the car is going and there's a close-up on, on Barthas probably best moment of his performance where he's smiling and yelling and pointing at the beach standing up in the back of a convertible real there's like the element of danger with it too he's laughing the music soars jlo is laughing and and then affleck is confused it's just a combination of elements it's just basically this is the movie it's yeah it's the sum of its parts and they pull over to the beach affleck gets on a payphone calls the federal prosecutor's office uh, basically to just lead them on to the the scent, as it were. Uh, he hangs up on him before they can get a name or anything, but, but basically tells Brian, hey, I think your brother and his friends are going to be here really soon. So there's the emotional goodbye with Brian. He wanders onto the beach, uses some of the advice that Affleck gave him about talking to women. Uh, he becomes part of the Baywatch. Back on the... He, he learns that in the end, the Baywatch was inside of him all along. <laughs> he was the Baywatch. Uh, Ricky... And Larry have their tear-filled goodbye. He says something like, "If you ever decide to give men a try, give me a call." Or you know, something that if in you a ever lesser want, movie, it, it wouldn't have gotten away with. If you ever decide to hop the fence, yes, uh, hop the fence again. He says this while teary-eyed and his voice is cracking. Yeah, that is, uh, Affleck can pull that off. Uh, and I couldn't tell you like right off top of my head like how many movies have in which movies, but I know that the the kind of the shot where he's not looking at the person directly, just kind of like side-eyed and he's mm-hmm. tearing up and his jaw is kind of trembling because he's going to cry. That's that's an Affleck shot I've seen many times and every time it works like a charm where I just, I believe it. He changed. He's a changed man. So she plants a big one on him. They have a goodbye kiss. He gives her the keys to his car and says, you know, go ahead and take it. I'm thinking of getting a new fresh start. Uh, he then goes and like just kind of walks off the on the into the sunset on the beach, and he's walking along the, in parallel to the coast. And uh, that was the original ending. Test audiences didn't like that that JLo just drove off without him. And uh, like you said, it's a silhouette walking against the sunset. And when he the day comes that Ben Affleck does pass, that will be his in memoriam clip at the Oscars that they show. It'll be the last one they show too. That's how they close the in memoriam. Ben Affleck walking to the sunset with a leather jacket. It'll be like the Grammys the year Joe Strummer died where it's the last fading one and then the curtain comes up and it's a bunch of people playing London Calling. <laughs> Everyone will just play London Calling for Ben Affleck. It'll be Justin Bartha introducing the clips to begin with. <laughs> he was my friend. Uh, he's and- He's gone where my career did several years ago. Oh. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I like Justin Bartha. I, I, I thought too. I'd made that clear. Yes. And let's wrap this up. And then <laughs> uh, his car pulls up back alongside him and J-Lo's in the driver's seat and says, Michelle's my real name. Get on in. Let's get out of here. Cowboy, et cetera, et cetera. She makes it clear, though. She makes two things clear. One, because he said, oh, so you're you're hopping the fence. And she's like, ah, I don't know about that. Right? Number one, I am not just completely changing my my gender preference for you. Mm. We're going to see where this goes. And number two, she says, I'm driving, which I thought was refreshing, empowering. Uh, you don't want to, the end of this movie, it's been calibrated so well throughout its runtime, you don't want to make the mistake of making it all like an Affleck win. Yeah. 
You know, he gets everything. He gets the girl. He gets his car back. He's going to get a new start. But no, hang on. You're going to have to change your ways because now Jayla's calling the shots. Yeah. I thought that was great. The sequel would have been about J-Lo. Just... The sequel would have been called Ricky. <laughs> I, there was a sequel, actually. It was called Ricky and the Flash. <laughs> and uh, Meryl Streep played the J-Lo character. They went a completely different direction. Didn't even mention Daniel Day-Lewis or... played the uh, Larry character, the Julie character. Yeah. Uh, the original ending featured Julie being killed, but after negative response to By Justin Bartha? The ending was reshot and re-edited. Justin Bartha just drowned him. <laughs> Here's the Baywatch, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, God. Geely was originally developed with Sylvester Stallone in mind for the lead, who dropped out and was later replaced with Eddie Murphy and ultimately with Ben Affleck. That is a roller coaster of recasts. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you're a lesbian. <laughs> Where were they going to go if Affleck dropped out? Justin Bartha and then just put... <laughs> DJ Qualls into the role of Brian. Brilliant. That's that's you're dipping your toe into real talk. Halle Berry was invited as the female lead before dropping out due to scheduling conflicts with X Two, mm, but was replaced by Jennifer Lopez, who signed in late 2000 for a reported 12 million. Both her and Ben made 12 million dollars. Yes, that's that's sweet. So so wraps up the tumultuous journey that was Geely. <laughs> well, let's let's go to real talk so we can real talk this. Let's let's talk real about this. You know something? You're right. It is sadness. It's sadness, and I'm fucking sad. You got me. You're a genius. You know why I'm fucking sad? Because I got this fucking beautiful, sexy, gorgeous, hot-throbberama, fucking smart, amazing, bombshell, 17 on a fucking 10-scale girl, sleeping in a bed right next to me. You know what? She's a stone-cold dyke. A fucking untouchable, unhavable, unattainable brick wall fucking dikosaurus rexide. So it's sad, okay? What do you want me to do? I feel fucking sadness about that. There's nothing I can fucking do. Not only is she a major babe, I really like this girl a lot. A lot. I mean, she's not like anybody else I ever knew before, and that's a completely fucking new one on me. And I don't even know her real fucking name, so there you go. Oh, and in case you're interested, my life sucks. Alright? Stick a fork in me, I'm done. Okay, and we are recording for Real Talk. The king is dead. Long live the king. I think I know what you're referring to, and I kept containing my desire to ask you the question as we were watching the movie. Is this worse than Christmas with the Cranks? It is. We, we've reached the final, the final frontier here on The Contrarians. We've uh, reached grounds, hollowed grounds that we had previously thought impossible. Christmas with the Cranks has been dethroned. Dethroned officially. Uh, I agree 100%, by the way. Good. Get my usual shit out of the way here, first and foremost. Uh, Geely, directed and written by Martin Brest, uh, released on August 1st, 2003, had a budget of $75.6 million for a box office return of a little over seven. 
So Ben got 12, J-Lo got 12, that's 24. What the fuck was the other 50 million going? Pacino, walking. Yeah, he had some powerhouses Don't in forget there. about Justin Bartha. You had to fucking pay John Powell for that score, too. <laughs> uh, I mentioned the first part about there was the alternate ending where Geely got killed, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, which sounds amazing. I don't know how. Um, Did they shoot it? Because I would love to see it. It was apparently because it was at the test screenings. That's what that was what tanked at the test screenings. So the Criterion should hold the <laughs> should have the alternate ending. The Criterion's just titled Larry. Uh, <laughs> received such bad reviews that it was dropped by every UK cinema after one week. Is that why they have what's it like a British accent? The girl that hooks up doesn't hook up with the dances with Justin Bartha at the end. Um, yeah, I mean it, that could have just been the proverbial cherry on the shit Sunday, but that was their attempt at uh, cracking their national market. <laughs> yeah, uh, due to the negative experience making this film, it caused Martin Brest to retire from directing. Apparently, his original vision was a straightforward like mob thriller. And um, I couldn't even tell you who the studio was, but they insisted it be turned into a romantic comedy, hoping to capitalize on the relationship between Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. That is really dumb. You don't say. <laughs> I don't understand how it spirals out of control so badly, though. I mean, did they? I guess they rewrote the script to where it was unrecognizable, and maybe because they used the words "retard" and "dyke" for comedic effect. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Where to start with this shit? <laughs> I'm not done. Okay. Uh, became the first film in the history of the Razzies to sweep the top five categories. Worst picture, worst actor, worst actress, worst director, and worst screenplay. So not even then did Justin Bartha get any recognition. <laughs> it was the Razzies equivalent of It Happened One Night from 1934. First film to win the Oscar Grand Slam. Everyone was complimentary of working with uh, Martin Brest. I guess he just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Poor guy. He just kept going because everybody was having such a good time. <laughs> he knew that this was going to be terrible. but Yeah, he was very bummed out by it. Uh, I don't think there's anything else really worthy of recognition outside of, as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, Gotti, how they spun it. Um, FX. When they went to when this movie reached syndication, they basically capitalized on all the negative PR it got and were like advertising it like, watch this movie. It's the worst movie ever. Watch the movie you never saw or that you heard of, that type of thing. Uh, they were not as creative to say as the critics. The put critics the put the hit out. My God. That was bad. But OK, Horrible. hang on. Let me get through the, the quotes. How? Real fast. Can anyone? There are some people that liked it. Uh, Barry Paris from Pittsburgh Post-Gazette says, Writer-director Martin Brest's offbeat characters have been a screen treat in every quirky action comedy he has made. Except this one. Yeah. That's what he's missing there. Uh, Dustin Putman from TheFilmFile.com says, Why Jilly is getting so widely lambasted from other critics, I do not know. It may not be a life-changing motion picture, but it is always likable. Most of all, and most importantly, it has a good heart. That's horrendous. Martin Brest might have a good heart. I don't know that the movie. Not after this. <laughs> he developed a heart condition. <laughs> he had a murmur. Uh, Lynn Cockburn from Jam Movies says, "A hoot, a fluffy hoot, but a hoot." Nope. Nope. Uh, and finally, Chuck the Movie Guy from ComingSoon.net said, "I love Jilly. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere probably wish they had this type of chemistry." Oh. 
Did they have chemistry? I didn't think so. I haven't. Uh, oh, I was about to say I haven't seen anything with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. What is it they're in? The Pretty Woman, Runaway Bride. Runaway Bride. Yeah. Pretty Woman. You haven't seen Pretty Woman? Maybe. Anyway, fuck Julia Roberts, Richard Gere. They're they're not the the subject at hand here. Do you but, have anything? But, did anyone else like this shit? Uh, okay, so he he didn't like it, but because you mentioned Ebert while we we're watching the movie, I did look up his full review because I remember reading it. At Motherfucker the time. said it was like. Had potential, but was disappointing. <laughs> yeah, like the the, the Rotten Tomatoes quote is something along the lines of "It just needed 15 minutes trimmed off, and and it would have had something." Yeah, the but, master sucked, but this was you know <laughs> a, a rough draft of something good. He, he gave it two and a half stars. Uh, but here's here's a, a paragraph that I I found. This is basically what I think that's what, what he you, gave the master the fucking yeah, dick. Uh, they're they're similar. Uh, so he says. <laughs> Consider the matching monologues. They've gotten into an argument over the necessity of the penis, which she, as a lesbian, feels is an inferior device for delivering sexual pleasure. He delivers an extended lecture on the use, necessity, and perfect design of the appendage. It is a rather amazing speech, the sort of thing some moviegoers are probably going to want to memorize. He continues. Then she responds. She is backlit, dressed in skin-tight workout clothes, doing yoga, and she continues to stretch and extend and bend and pose as she responds with her speech in praise of the vagina. When she's finished, reader, the vagina has won, hands down. It is so rare to find dialogue of such originality and wit, so well written, that even though we know the exchange basically involves actors showing off, they do it so well, we let them. That paragraph is better written than anything in the movie. I don't understand what Ebert saw on it, but... I, I was about to say, I don't understand if someone of his lore and knowledge could be that wrong. I disagree that it's well-delivered. I think that's my main problem with the movie. There's a sea of problems. But my main problem with the movie is that Affleck sucks. And we've praised Affleck in different episodes of this podcast. He, But this is maybe the worst thing I've ever seen He looks him. like... I'm trying to think of the most extreme example I could make here. He's like fucking... Uh, he looks like Daniel Plainview with his performance in Reindeer Games compared to him here. <laughs> he... I don't... He he looks like someone who's trying to be a bad actor. Right. He doesn't look like an actor. I think that's the thing. If I didn't know that that was Ben Affleck, I would watch this movie and go, wow, where'd they get this guy? And there's no way he's ever doing another movie. Have you ever watched... Have you watched The Room? The actual movie? I've seen enough clips that I feel like I've seen the movie. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It, yeah, that level of just unawareness of how bad you are. Yes, yeah. that level of, like, unawareness is the word. These You're trying to deliver this fucking stupidity, and, but, like, acting! And, yeah. and it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And Jennifer Lopez, God bless her, gorgeous, very talented woman, Never particularly thought acting was her strong suit, but she does have you know these moments here and there. She has a sass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the pussy speech is not one of them. No, no. They, I mean, to be fair, in their defense, it's not like they're helped by anything. They're not helped by their co-stars. They're not helped by the script. They're not helped by the director. Everything is against them delivering any sort of good performance. But on top of that, especially Affleck, I don't think that they're. They're just good at all. I think no. that they're they're off. It's they're not funny when they're supposed to be funny. They I, most of the movie, Affleck is just playing off one emotion. He's just like an angry dude, and it's not funny when he slams uh, Justin Barth against the wall, calls him a retard. It, it's just 
cringeworthy. Yeah, and you know we say this a lot on the podcast, and it's something I'm sure if you talk about movies very often at all, the phrase "doesn't age well" will come up. There was never an age for this because they really do like um, dyke retard. Like those words they use are things that spawn from basically insulting, not necessarily in some cases hate speech. Some people do use that as hate speech, and in this particular movie, every time those words are used, they're used either for comedic effect or to try to fucking drive home some big dramatic point. Like when um, Stone Cold Dyke was the quote I had written down where uh, Ben Affleck was like professing his love. And it's like, one, you fucking moron. Like, (laughs) if you're really in love with that person, don't insult them. And, you know, then it cuts to Jennifer Lopez, who's like, oh. Yeah, I think that's the the problem with that scene, that she seems moved by his speech. Yeah. And and therefore, the movie feels like it's endorsing everything he's said. Uh, They... All that being said, nothing can prepare you for Al Pacino going, the retard! (laughs) It's like, dude, what the fuck is going on? That's the last, like, mind fuck of the movie of, like... The Pacino appearance? Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, still in awe of this and in no good way. And it's also, I think, part of it is you and I had never seen it. Right. You're still processing it. Yeah, I had heard the legend. Right. It's one of those movies that I, uh, naively... The the naivety of man, I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. It has to be fun in a way. There's nothing fun about this movie. No. I I have it, no desire to – like, The Room is one of those movies that I really don't have a desire to rewatch, you know, but I can get, like, the fun of it. I understand why people would watch it over and over yeah, again. Yeah, or, like, The Draft House to watch or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I have no desire to rewatch this movie and don't know why anyone would do it. It feels like uh, – I mean, it is one of those comedies where the punchlines don't land, so it just feels even longer because it's just a whole bunch of failed punchlines tripping over each other. Uh, it, and a lot of reaction shots. Yeah, reaction shots and just like the pause for the laugh track that never comes. It's just it's, – it's that kind of experience. It's also – it kind of feels – and I understand now if Martin Brest says that basically the studio took the movie away from him, right? Yeah. It, it, and it's not what he wanted because it's just such a conflicting uh, set of tones, I guess. I almost feel like maybe it would be better if they had fully committed to making Ben Affleck a complete asshole. And yes. So he speaks this way because he's just a complete, unrepentant, like, reprehensible human being. And, you know, in that case, one, he's not – he doesn't have those sweet moments sprinkled throughout the movie. And he doesn't have, like, this full-on redemption at the end. But whatever change you see at the end, maybe it's enough and it feels more real because you've actually – connected with this guy that's really bad right really reprehensible uh you can see from the opening scene of like what the original idea was like he's this um wannabe hard ass mm -hmm. will threaten violence never really go to it but then immediately is yeah my my name rhymes with he's fucking ross geller yeah it's just so that was like i was like jesus the first time he he dropped the r word i was like what the fuck right because it was played like for giggles. Right, right. And before that, you, you're thinking he's kind of harmless, right? He has this opening monologue that's just kind of, oh, we're going to be that kind of cutesy thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's just a problem. I mean, it's, it's, like I said, everybody had a hand in making this suck. But it's also this. It's just that Affleck can't sell being an intimidating, uh, what would you call it, enforcer or whatever. Because I no, had trouble. Can. I mean, I Not didn't. Here. Right. Yeah. I didn't buy him when the movie opened, which is. What made me think, okay, well, that's part of the joke, right? That he's not 
that he's he's a big guy that can't really be tough. But then the movie doesn't really follow through on that. No. And, and then, like, there's no hope for J-Lo at all in that, yeah, this smoking hot woman that gives away her uh, location at all times is a, is a contract killer. Yep. Yeah. Now, you can forgive all that if you're saying, well, that's just the, the hoops we have to jump through so we can get them both in the same house because the real story here is a relationship. And the real story is that these two tough people open up and and learn from each other but then we have to pile on oh she's a lesbian yes number one that's that's a misfire right Mm -hmm. i i can't imagine even if imagine that chasing amy doesn't exist and you don't have the baggage of affleck already having a movie in his filmography where he seduced a lesbian and made her go into a relationship with i refuse to believe that was part of the sylvester stallone or eddie murphy script like that's (laughs) something that someone just added like you know he knows how to do it (laughs) He can adapt on the fly. Yeah, now that we're in real talk, that's such a bad idea. I can't believe that that got greenlit. Remember how Ben Affleck had I can't had believe the, this movie got greenlit. You're right. Okay, so everything in, in general. But the the lesbian thing feels unnecessary at best. You already had set them up as characters that wouldn't be interested in each other other than they're attractive, right? Of course you want to fuck Ben Affleck. Of course you want to fuck Gerald, cause they're, yeah. especially the way they look in this movie. God damn. They're constantly Dude, showing off. Fucking Jennifer Lopez. I don't. She's like laying down her sleeping mat and like her pants are half off. Right. It, yeah. It's The movie is shameless and at least we'll give him this. They do the same thing with Affleck. Mm-hmm. You get to see as much of Affleck's body as you do of J-Lo's. Uh, but... You didn't need to make her a lesbian. And if you're going to make her a lesbian, what point are you making, really? she You're fucking diminishing your point. Right. Because her ex-lover is someone insane that tries to kill themselves. Yes. And, and like that, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like of all the things this movie makes light of, they also make light of suicide. Yeah. It's, it's a throwaway. It's a throwaway that in the end is pay, pay, played for a punchline. Oh, she needs some Band-Aids. And then like... Then she, oh, bitches be crazy. That's yep. basically the tone of it all. Yeah. Uh, and then she finally decides to sleep with him after he gives her, basically after he gives her that speech in the car. And What is that? I don't understand. It's not even a pity fuck because she she seems to be into it. I don't, it, that J-Lo performance, I really, it does a disservice to, I guess what was originally presented as a strong character mm-hmm. because she just she just melts because the script needs her to to melt. It, it's time for her and Affleck to hook up, so she just seems to forego everything that that she she'd been saying and the way that she'd been acting up till that point, and then she decides, well, no, I'm gonna have sex with him this time. Because he's sad. The infamous turkey timeline, like, that is something Seth MacFarlane would write and think is funny. Like, that's, like, the epitome of lazy. And, like, what makes me so, like, what's really made my fucking blood curdle watching that is Jennifer Lopez delivers that line as best she can. Right. She was doing her best. (laughs) And not even, like, I think she thought it was going to land. (laughs) <laughs> like and that's what made it hurt me like it didn't offend me it hurt me but it but that line can work in a completely different movie and especially okay that that line works that in super bad <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that line works if you're dealing with like a fucking uh 
crass. I'm trying to like Rebel Wilson in a movie could say that line and it would work perfectly. Right. It, it, this but you've built this particular character, this Ricky as like kind of this hard ass no nonsense. Uh even if she had just done like show me what you got, that would have like made sense for what's going on. I, I praise it in Contrarian's Corner. It, it hurt for, my feelings. <laughs> well, I praise it in Contrarian's Corner for, for being crass and being in your face, um, which would be real praise if it really was doing that constantly. If it was a movie where, well, you know, Turkey Time or Gobble Gobble or whatever was wedged perfectly within scenes that were of that caliber all around, if, if J-Lo was constantly, like, quippy. Just quippy and just talking about sex that way. But instead... Her previous speech, the one about the vagina, it's kind of poetic. Yeah. Not not good poetry. It's not good, but it's a completely different kind of uh, uh, scene. Yeah, it felt gross hearing her say pussy. I was like, <laughs> she didn't want to say that. Uh, and all this mixed with the saccharine scenes where they bond with Justin Bartha. We'll, we'll get to Bartha in just a minute. Yeah, yeah. We're saving the best for last. Yeah. Uh, if that relationship is the center of the movie and that relationship feels fake, it feels like it doesn't make any sense, then the movie doesn't work. And the, well, like I will say the one positive thing or one yes. genuine thing I will say about this is as funny as it is, like I think the the uh, climax, the epitome, the apex, the zenith of the horrendousness of this film is the turkey timeline. But immediately following that is the best part of the movie where Ben Affleck does, in my opinion, the only real acting in this because he had talked up his big like head game in the scene prior. Mm. And then he plays the role, and I think I can relate to this as a dude because I think pretty much every dude has been in this situation of talking up a big game, be it sexual or whatever, and then when they're actually faced with it, they have to talk their way out of it and be like, uh, well, you know, I said this, but uh, you might have been, been right with what you said earlier. You know, it's a bit of a handicap. And... It's about a 15 to 20 second sequence where I was like, I bought that. Yeah. It's, and that's it's, the only thing in the movie that I've bought. The 20 seconds where Ben Affleck is not just relatable, but but you understand exactly where he's coming from. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, I buy it. His performance, it, it's suddenly enhanced just by the fact that his character makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just go into a really bad sex scene. Yeah. It's, for a movie that's just so crass. Uh, they when try it comes to make to some artsy sex. Yeah, thing. they just have the fades. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. They try to be like fucking uh, holier than thou with that. Within like ten minutes earlier, he was squeezing his mom's ass in a thong, like shooting her. Yeah, up but the sex scene, Jayla's still dressed. Yeah, remember yeah, she she never the, even yeah. takes the robe off. Well, she's classy. I, I I know part of it is just that the boy next door already happened uh, in our minds, and so goddamn, we've seen much all, steamier all sex fucking scenes. hail. Um, we did skip over that, and like I was just almost grossed out. Like uh, the actress plays mom, not grossed out by her, but just like it, it, it. I don't know. I can't tell what's played for last. But you know what I'm talking about? Oh, where he's like, she's got like her thong, and he's grabbing right. It's, her it's ass just and, dumb like, comedy. Yeah. It, it's just a cut. So yeah, he gets off the phone. And he's like, oh, I have to go see my mom, and then cut to his mom's butt as he just gives her a shot, and she's wearing this pink thong, and it's like. What is the tone of this fucking movie? Right. It's this like the kind of jokes you're going to make. Oh, no. But this then movie saw... opened with him threatening to torture this guy. And now, you know, it. Um, 
Now, of course, get, get short like the it wants to be get shorty in almost every aspect, but fails at every fucking turn. Well, it's not witty enough to be get shorty to, to begin with. And even I don't care what Ebert said on his review. I mean, the dialogue is not good. No, not even when they get to the monologues and everybody gets their monologues. So Walking gets a monologue. Pacino gets a monologue. Um, obviously, Affleck and uh, and J-Lo get monologues, too. And. They never really rise over just what he said, letting the actors show off, but you're letting them show off with bad material. Yeah. So before we get to the main event, uh, you did bring up Pacino and Walken. Is this proof you can give them anything and they'll still just make it? I'm not saying they make it work, but it's like, man, there it is. Okay. So, yes. I guess, yes, begrudgingly. Yeah. I, I still think they're terrible, especially Pacino. But he's not terrible like Affleck has been terrible. Right, Pacino. I mean, he's an actor. He's he, he acts. I he, think it's like the but, despite it, it's still they become they come out looking like the beacons of the movie despite the material. Yes, they're they're stronger performers, and maybe because they're more experienced, they they can work a little more magic with the shitty script. effortlessly. Yes, but but it's still just unnecessary of course by the time Pacino shows up you're just so tired of the movie that I had no patience for this 10 minute scene it's just Pacino being Pacino and yelling and you know yeah and you know like all jesting aside like for an A-list cast and all this Walken is so much exponentially I realize that's redundant he's exponentially better in Joe Dirt for example than he is in this (laughs) it's like and I guess the difference would probably be he read that and he's like yeah this is funny I'll, I'll, I'll give it something here he's just like, right, I'm getting paid. Yeah, he comes in, he does a whole bunch of exposition, and then he has fun with his exit, which is what I called out in the tennis corner. Yeah, where he like the crumples pie. the cup and yeah. goes with the pie, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Can we just follow Christopher Walken for the rest of the movie? <laughs> it's, it, it's a, uh, I think it's very clearly Martin Brest bring them in to like liven things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Walken, because he has no relevance to the plot or anything. It's just, well, now here's Christopher Walken for 10 minutes. And then Pacino's scene is not earned, because um, old uh, Lenny Verito, or uh, my computer's dead, so I'm not sure if I remember his name, but uh, Lewis, the guy who, it was all or nothing for him. (laughs) Pacino's scene's not earned, because he comes across as like this psycho and he kills him. And like, so then it's like, oh, okay, we may have our one serious character in the movie. And then just because J-Lo uses the word derelict, he lets them Oh, go. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I was trying to remember what made me so mad. And one is that... 50, she doesn't even make a reasonable argument. Right, yeah. right. 50% of, of, of Pacino's uh, speech, his monologue, is him telling you how, how much of an asshole he is, how much of a badass. He's, he's going to kill you. And then he yeah. kills that guy. And then, yeah, J-Lo just disarms him. By what being J Lo? I mean, there's not even a hint yeah. that that okay, he's doing it because it's a pretty girl and he has a soft side, you know, in him or anything. He just, you're right. It's it just well, we need to wrap up the movie, so it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. All right, Justin Bartha. Moving on, Doug. I like Justin Bartha. Not in this movie, but I mean, I like him in National Treasure. I remember National Treasure the first one, second one sucks, but in the first one, I he kind of stole the movie for me. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's funny. He's just the, the funny sidekick. He's quippy and, and nerdy. And there's a reason Todd Phillips cast him three, four, three times as a as Doug. As Doug, because he's likable, he's charming uh, in very short spurts, and you know he's sympathetic as well. In each Hangover sequel, I've been disappointed that Doug doesn't get a bigger role. 
I always think this is the one where the one that gets lost is someone else, and Doug's going to be part of the movie. That's what they should have done. Uh, here, man. Um, it's not his fault. I'll say that much. I don't think it's his fault. I think that once he was cast, so he he's doing the best he can to attempt to play a mentally uh, challenged individual. The problem is the movie surrounding it tries to make fun of that. Yes. And you can't fault him for going for it because also 2003, we were four years out still from The Hangover. You got to think this dude's mentality was young in Hollywood. He saw the director, the actors involved. This is it. Right. I, I got to fucking swing for the fences. Go big or go home. This was his uh, Ethan Henry moment in Empire Records. Yes. I need to make my mark. Yes. I don't know. I don't even know that he succeeds at that, though. No. And, and the like, he succeeds at going for it. The problem is, like, the material and, you know, like, uh, a phrase we like to use often on here is, it, well, it would have worked in a different movie. I don't even know if this would have worked yeah. in a different movie. No. Um, I think... That Well, yes, in the sense that if he was in a drama playing a mentally challenged person, I mean, he's he's an actor, mm-hmm. you know, he can he actually maybe not because I don't know if you noticed, but I, I felt that he started the movie playing it like somebody that was just borderline, like can't even function. Yeah. And then by the end of the movie, I know that he's supposed to be more comfortable in his surroundings now that he knows uh, Affleck and Lopez and everything, but he is... He's a lot more socially open yeah. by the end of the movie. And I didn't feel like that transition was earned if it was supposed to be. Or if he's just supposed to be the same person that, that Affleck kidnapped at, at first, then he just did a, part, a poor job keeping continuity of, of his performance. So so maybe not. Maybe not even in a drama. But No, and, and the biggest issue is in a, certain, in a better movie, this type of role and this especially his performance might have been able to be reined in a bit better to where it's not – it's like – literally out of control here and the um approach to it surrounding it the people the way like the other characters the way they approach him and talk to him it's so offensive it it, you know this movie uh for all of its marks being a bad film it the material can be interpreted as being very offensive and rightfully so but it's it's also because it's not just so much that the characters i'm okay with affleck being an asshole and and pushing him around and calling him names as long as the movie is not okay with it. Yeah. But the movie will spend shots, you know, a long time on shots of, of him acting silly and like, oh, isn't it funny how the guy that's mentally challenged is just like dancing around? That's that's not Affleck. That's the movie doing it. Yeah. It's it's the, the movie trying to tell you, it's trying to manipulate your emotions to who you mm. like and what's funny and what's not. Yeah. So you can and can't fault Justin Bartha. I mean... Again, with how much we've done this, we we kind of sometimes get an uh, an insight to what people are thinking, and I can understand his thinking being that look at this platform I'm on, I need to be memorable. But and also, I think you put your trust in the director, and you're you're just going well. If I'm going too far, or if this isn't working, then they'll tell me. They'll tell me, and yeah. they'll rein me in, or they'll tell me try this other thing. But uh, he's just I, he, it doesn't work. It, nope. it just. Even from the pitch moment, I would imagine this would be something that as a as a movie executive, a producer, whatever, it would give you pause. If they pitching you Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in an apartment where they're like competing 
mobsters or whatever taking care of a mentally challenged guy you'd be like ah oh, well okay that sounds like a thorny pitch this is a comedy no 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 wait she's a lesbian and he wants to have sex with her <laughs> um, but it's directed by Martin Brest okay I guess he knows what he's doing <laughs> so that was a really good segue we didn't even plan that but um, the line I thought of when we were uh, watching this and that I stick to is we've covered so many movies that we were left asking why I think here we're left asking how <laughs> how did this get made it's not even a why I mean why is after why is grown-ups why is why do we need this like why do you need more money right this is how how did someone say this was okay how did Ben Affleck who was a more than seasoned actor at this point Martin Brest like how did this happen? So so Brest would tell you that it was studio interference. Correct. That he pitched a movie and then the studio wanted to capitalize on the romance of its stars. And that completely transformed his vision. I guess it's possible. I I would hope Ben Affleck's excuse was he was blind in love. Same for J-Lo. Yeah. Like, we were just having a good time. Yeah. I made I, a movie. So, I mean, if that is the case... In breast is, you know, I mean, you never know. You know, he's like, I don't know what was his movie before this one, how long it had been before since he had made a movie. But if he just finds himself in a position where like, well, I either get the job done, no matter what hurdles they're throwing at me, or I walk away, but I can't really afford to walk away because uh, it's not like I'm set up for the next Marvel movie or something. Yeah. You know, he just has to do what, what he had to do. Then maybe... It's all on the on the studio and whoever is giving those notes and whoever decided that this needed to be a, a J-Lo Affleck romantic vehicle instead of whatever it was supposed to be before. Um, that said, whatever it was supposed to be before, it's still kind of a similar pitch. And that's still a hard, like, guy kidnaps, mentally challenged guy, and then what? And he's holed up in his apartment and kooky character actors visit him. I, I've never seen Mercury, Mercury Rising, but... Uh, that's my understanding about the plot of it is I think Bruce Willis. Uh, oh, that, that's uh, where the kid, the kid can see the kid. code. Yeah, yeah. He, he cracked like some government code, and so the government's after him, and Willis is protecting him. I Something think. Something like that. But yeah, I, from my understanding, that one of the things was the audience is, like couldn't get completely comfortable watching like an autistic kid in that situation, whereas like this is like. You're expecting to market this movie to mainstream audiences, and like, how do you expect them to just be okay with everything that's happening in here? It, it, it's it's peculiar. Yeah, I think it actually. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably an easier sell as a drama or as like a crime thing because then you you're not you don't have to deal with the problem of this mentally challenged character has to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, definitely. Like the the idea. It, who knows? Maybe he could potentially pull it off as drama and like Justin Bartha would have been toned down. But yeah, to your point, they're like, no, no, no. It's a comedy. No, it's a comedy. Yeah. Talk about penises and vaginas. JLo's going to say pussy. Um, <laughs> While sweating. Man. And this isn't even like. Uh, this isn't even short. God damn. No, it's fucking. And it's like at the end, too, it seems like. It it's it offends me. It, it, yeah, again that Jim Cornette line. It didn't offend me. It hurt my feelings. Like of uh, when they keep cutting back to Ben Affleck watching Justin Bartha on the beach. That's like literally like four minutes of the movie. Yep. And 
it's two hours and one minute. It could have been fucking seventy five minutes. Yes. Um, with the first fourteen minutes we got through, like, because the reason I know that time marker is apparently that's when Jennifer Lopez shows up, and you could have gotten through that in thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. There's really you just establish. They spent a long time 90. establishing uh, um, Affleck and and the bad guy, his boss, Louis. Louise. Sorry, brother. We, we already <laughs> forgot your name. We know you went for it. Did he go for it, though? Yes. And, I, like, I, when he had to sit there playing dead and holding <laughs> his breath. God bless him. I No, he went for it, too, because when you're playing dead, you usually just do the eyes closed. He has eyes open, <laughs> rolled back, mouth agape, and the fucking blood is dripping down his okay, face. Okay, he was, he was sharing the screen with Pacino there, though, so I think that maybe he... He, he upped he, the game. He, yeah, but before that, he's just a generic... I don't even want to call him mobster, whatever he was. I mean, it was not... Whatever this movie was. So, um, I guess coming around to... I already addressed this... Um, and I think it answers the question if we say it's worse than Christmas with the Cranks. But there's, like, nothing redeeming about this. Like, I, I would... The, the Affleck 20 seconds. The 20 seconds of Affleck where he sounds like a real person. But, you know, obviously Empire Records, I have my sentimental attachment to that. But, you know, the bad movies we've covered that there's things to go back and enjoy. Even the the Boy Next Door, I remember the case I made for that in Real Talk on that episode was that it was so campy and bad that I could see it becoming like a cult classic because there's like fun aspects to it because mm. it never takes itself too seriously. Nothing of that in this movie. I, I don't, I, there's a reason the draft house doesn't host midnight screenings <laughs> of this. It's a very rare movie. That's so bad. Uh, Jesus Christ, dude, like everything I read about it, you know, most quote unquote reputable lists have it in the top 10 worst movies of all time. It's it's really that bad. It was not a fun watching experience, and not even watching it with you and kind of poking fun at it as we were watching it. It just still. <laughs> I hate to be to say it, but like the only other movie we've watched together where we didn't even have fun together was Christmas with the Cranks. And even then, I I think that there was there, there was, was more, a certain there was like... more going on. It just felt like at least we were moving. Yeah, here it just like God, we're still in that apartment, and yeah. I don't even know. When, when we're getting gonna, out, right? I know that Christmas is cranks. Christmas is coming, so it, it's, <laughs> it will end at Christmas. But with the, it, it's just Jello and Ben Affleck at the apartment. And I really thought early on in the movie, when when Walking came in, I said, "Okay, this is the structure of the movie. They're just gonna be here, and people are gonna come. Yeah, and they're gonna keep bringing in the character actors, and uh, I that mean, was it, huge. The fact that neither of us had seen this, yeah, and, probably for the better." Because I would hate for you to have to rewatch it, and I know I would never rewatch it again. I can guarantee you, if this was one of those things where, like, it was homework, where I had to watch it on my own and you did, I would have just read it online after about 20 minutes. I feel bad. You know, my takeaway from all this, really, uh, having heard the the trivia, is that I feel bad for Martin Brest, if you believe it. Absolutely. Because can you imagine being in charge of this disaster and just not be, really not being responsible for it? In the sense that it doesn't come out of you, but you're still responsible for it in the name, in the sense that your name is attached to it. And on top of that, it's the last thing you did. Yeah, it just it just breaks you to the point where you're like, "Fuck this! I am not going through this ever again. This is no way of earning a living." I wonder if there was a Hollywood premiere for this. You know, some movies that are so bad they don't do it. Yeah, like I wonder if there was one for this. Or is it is this one of those where critics were not 
allowed. To, you oh, know, the embargo to, until yeah. like five minutes before the movie came out. Or they're not even invited to to watch a movie. There's no screening. So do you want to? It was Justin movie? Bartha and 47 <laughs> of his closest friends. Oh, Jesus Christ. What what a movie. It's you know, done. Yeah, and everybody bounced back except for Martin Brest. Mm-hmm. What did J-Lo... I mean, I, she's never going to struggle. She's too beautiful, and she is talented. Which is, and she also has her hands on, like... So many pies. Right. Yeah. You know, she sings, she produces, she acts. And Affleck's great. And, uh, yeah, Bartha... I mean, any one of those Hangover movies is probably never going to have to work again. It's crazy, too, when you're watching this and you're like, wow, Ben Affleck... Academy Award winning uh, director. Yeah, you know this is the man behind the town, Gone Baby Gone, Argo. Argo. In in so he has to have known that he was in shit, or maybe not because he was much younger, and you know taste develops. I I mean, truth be told, he could have just thought you know him and his girlfriend were just doing this thing. He may have not realized the magnitude of it. For <laughs> fuck all we know, he thought he was shooting some straight to video movie. <laughs> He didn't realize he was going to end Martin Brest's career. <laughs> and he lays awake every night with the guilt of that. Uh, so, Geely's done. That's it. Uh, That's it. That uh, Strong opening salvo for our award season. Yeah. And, and I'm glad it's over. We can only go up from here. You would think. The peaks that we've hit so far in the valleys, none were deeper and lower than this. But... Uh, this is great because next episode is Shakespeare in Love, which you don't like, but there's no way that you'll dislike it as much no. as Jilly. So, win-win. Fucking politicking-ass bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving along to our closing here, which uh, always starts with plugs. Uh, for plugs, we'll start, as always, with the Festiviers, who provide our opening and closing tracks. Opening is Last Stand, closing summer of 99. Uh, I think a new bit on the podcast is we'll just say we're going to use some of their new music. because we're. <laughs> I mean, me personally, especially when I edit these, I'm so accustomed to using those songs. So, um, The Festiviers, be sure to check them out. Uh, for yes. Our logo, uh, Hans Rothgeiser. Beat me too. I usually throw it over to you. Yeah, he's uh, extra, extra kudos to Hans Rothgeiser this uh, episode because dude, he's just he's he's such a uh, team player. I don't know what to call him. He he saw that. Okay, first off, briefly, we have a we're on Instagram now. Mm-hmm. We're just it's it's in its infancy. We have like three posts. Yeah, and uh, but Hans saw that we were in. Instagram and he saw that we're using you know the logo like the first post was just like the logo and he's like hey I saw that you're on Instagram and you posted the logo that I made do you want me to just do you draw you a logo for Instagram and he's, I can do like the little tomato with its microphone and I'm like sure <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> so it didn't even take a day and he sent me the new drawing. God bless I haven't posted it yet because the idea what I want to do with Instagram and you've seen it now anybody that that checked our Instagram already the uh it's at Contrarian Prime, and uh, I'm just putting like little clips and uh, audio clips, audio clips of uh, of episodes. And what I want to do is just do uh, half and half. So half is the picture of the movie we're talking about. The other half was gonna be our logo. But now that Hans has done that, I think next post is gonna be a variation of our logo, our Insta Instagram version. And uh, so great, thank you, Hans. You have uh, yeah, absolutely thanks, man. You're very talented. Anybody that needs a logo uh, can contact them at uh, 
Mil Demonios on Twitter. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or uh, you can email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. He also has a podcast called Nación Combi. Uh, where he talks about Peruvian stuff uh, in Spanish. So if you know Spanish and want to know about Peruvian stuff, listen to it. Uh, they're on Spotify, just like us. You know, we don't have Spotify listed on our thing because we did the intro before we were on Spotify. But we're on Spotify. It's always Nacion Combi. Because that's how you like to listen to your podcasts. That's where we are. Excellent. Uh, for my plug this week, one of my – not one of my New Year's resolutions. I guess it would be. I just I'm trying to – change my ingestion in terms of uh movies music television uh getting back to reading point being what i want to do is just i need to start ingesting new content so what i've been trying to do is going through and watching movies that i own that are still in the shrink wrap that i haven't watched before instead of watching fucking drive for the 80th time um watching new television shows instead of just parks and rec in the office and like i told julio Parks and Rec in the office, I'll always fall asleep to that. But it, like, I need to start putting new things on. I, I, I need to start using my brain for new things. So, uh, totally, I watched the way way back this week, which not necessarily like a glowing plug for or anything like that, but a really fun, simple, innocent movie. Um, really enjoyed it. But the thing I want to plug because it's going to be uh, ongoing updates is uh-huh. um, when uh, I used to write about MMA. I wrote for Fight Hub TV. Um, I would do columns and uh, reviews. Anchor Bay, the DVD production company, would send me screeners of UFC DVDs. Uh, Somehow I got on their uh, movie and television distribution list, despite I never reviewed them, so they would just send me shit. So I have this really rare... Uh, collector's edition of battle royale they sent me for review and these like horrible indie movies they produced and released but uh they also sent me during this time the first season of a television show called magic city are you familiar with this show the comedian jeffrey dean morgan yeah yeah i mean i I never watched it but i know of it it was a star's original and i had it on my uh tv shelf for a couple years now in the shrink wrapping and so in going through this i was like okay this is a new show for me to watch so I've started Magic City, and I'm five episodes in. The first season's eight episodes. It only goes two seasons. So it is uh, tremendous junk food television. <laughs> it's very predictable. It's uh, way over-stylized, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan's awesome. Uh-huh. Danny Houston plays like this insane mob boss to the point of, like, you know, uh, he makes Tommy Lee Jones and Batman Forever look tame. Like, <laughs> like he's out of control. Uh, I don't know. I can handle that. Yeah, it's uh, based in the I think it's the late fifties in Miami. Um, it's going on during like the Cuban Revolution and shit. And it's it's one of those things of it, it doesn't take itself too seriously, so I can get through it pretty easily. And the episodes are really engrossing. And you know, a big thing for me, like my thing with watching Breaking Bad for the first time last year. Um, those television shows that are like hour long episodes, 40 to hour long minute episodes, you're like, oh, okay, one more. But then they'll have like those huge hook endings. It's uh-huh. like, fuck, I have to watch another <laughs> one now. So, uh, for the next probably three or four episodes, we'll do continual updates on Alex's journey through Magic City. Again, if you've watched it and dislike it, I'm not trying to say that it's quality television. I'm just saying that it's, uh, it's really fun for what it is. Five, five episodes in though. What rating do you give it? Um, 
like I, that's the problem when the scales become subjective but uh it's probably like at a seven like if we're doing like one out of ten or like if it's it's probably like a b minus right now okay. yeah and, and a huge part of it, i mean jeffrey dean morgan's incredible his character is the only one that has like moderate complexity to it because <laughs> he's the owner of this hotel chain but this that needs to succeed so like uh the first episode is him ordering the head of this union to be killed, but he's friends with the guy. So he's struggling with that. He's trying to manage a hotel while he's like fighting this police investigation. All the other ones are just fucking black and white characters. He's, he's the only one with complexity to it. And as we saw in the Fred Claus episode, you need complexity. You go to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So you need a charmer. You go to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Exactly. So I will plug magic city for right now. That may change in the episodes to come, but uh, that's where I'm at. Okay, so uh, before my plug plug, uh, the guys from, uh, speaking of cool people, just like Hans Rodgieser, Daniel and Dean from the IMDb podcast, they played our promo like three or four times already, and we've only played theirs once. <laughs> okay. And I, so I, I was listening to one of the recent episodes, and our, you know I heard you and I on our promo again, I was like, fuck, we're falling behind. I know we mentioned them throughout the whole uh, Keanu Reeves catastrophe we had but still so so i said hey do you want us to play your catastrophe promo? it was not <laughs> there's just some people out there that have yet to come around to our way of thinking yes uh so i asked him i was like do you want us to play your promo on jilly or uh shakespeare in love and they said jilly what does that mean about how they feel about jilly or shakespeare in love i don't know yet so ben from the earlier we dedicated his birthday to he wanted on the jilly episode as well so uh, I'm pretty sure there's some uh, hot anticipation for the yeah. The well, to be fair, it's not do. like it's not like Ben picked when his birthday is. But you said he was excited. Yes, he yeah. was. So yeah, I think he just likes us. <laughs> uh, if I had said, "Hey Ben, for your birthday, do you want us to do Jilly or Shakespeare in Love?" That would have been a more <laughs> accurate. We would have had a better understanding of it. Anyway, here's the promo for the IMDb Journey podcast. Hey you, yeah you. What are you doing after you finish this great podcast you're listening to? Well, whatever it is, you're going to blow that off and listen to the IMDB Journey podcast instead, hosted by Daniel, that's me, and Dean, that's me. Join us on our journey as we tackle the IMDB Top 250 list, breaking down one movie a week, giving our own rankings as we go, as well as our incredibly intelligent and insightful thoughts too. (laughs) We also throw in a random quiz or movie battle every once in a while and have a punt on it. Because us Aussies, we love a good punt. (gasps) Daniel, this is a G-rated promo. You can't say that. I said punt, Dean. Punt. You dickhead. So come join us on the journey by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast apps. And follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. So now for uh, my actual plug, uh, because it's been just uh, probably a couple episodes since last time we mentioned Chaz Fisher. uh, And this is dropping on a Wednesday. So you have two days uh, to... If you live in Australia, <laughs> go to Flickrfest. Uh, just look it up online. Uh, Chaz wrote a short that's going to be playing there. Fuck yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he posted a link on Facebook and I saw it. And it's about a guy getting a vasectomy. I don't know what, you know, how, if that's inspired by Chaz's like dreams of I'm not. Just picturing Chaz walking out of an operating room like Kramer when he got his vasectomy, like stiff legged. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he just posted something on Facebook. I don't know if you saw something about how, like, 10 years ago, he was working at a law firm and trying to, like, you know, write scripts for a living. And 10 years later, you know, now 
he's still working at a law firm and writing script for a living, but he has two kids. <laughs> and, you know, he wrote a script out of a vasectomy, so. Read between the lines. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny. I- I'm sure it is. And it- they're showing it at this Flickr Fest. It has two showings. And one awesome. of them is on Friday. So uh, just, I'll put the link up, but also you could just do your homework and Google it if you're in Australia. Wherever it is in Australia that Chaz lives, I don't know. Australia is just Australia to me. <laughs> There's Perth. And there's... Melbourne. Sydney. Sydney. The Outback. Jesus. <laughs> but anyway... Just uh, coming across as extremely xenophobic <laughs> right now. Just Americans. Yeah. Trump seeps in. You <laughs> think you're resisting it, but it just gets in your brain. No. Anyway, that was that was my plug for the episode. Cool. Well, that was Geely. It took a lot out of us all. I think uh, we're better people for having gone through it. I mean, we we just we cross it off the list, right? It's just now one of those movies that you don't have to assume that it's as bad as people say. You just know it's. Yeah, as bad I was about to say no. You, you know it is. So I guess like Plan Nine from Outer Space will be next. But uh, so Shakespeare in Love will be next, and we'll continue on our uh, award season story arc. Uh, but that concludes Geely. That's going to do it for Real Talk, and that's going to do it for us here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's some of the 90s.